Hey everyone, and thanks for tuning in to this week's message. My name's Aaron, and I'm on the staff team here at Eastlake. Everything we do around here depends on the generous donations of our local and online community. People just like you, who tune into these messages and see great benefit from living that idea that life is a gift and love is the point. So if you love what Eastlake is up to, we'd encourage you to contribute by going to eastlakecc.com. With that, let's jump into this week's message. Today, we hear from Bart Campolo as he continues our series, Do You Believe in God? Please check the description for links to our quarterly Spotify playlist and guided meditation. Thanks, everybody, for being here. Welcome back to uh, an Eastlake event. It's been, I don't know, a couple minutes, a couple months. Actually, it's been a couple years. Okay, two full years. Crazy. Cool. Well, welcome, everybody. We are super glad that you're here. If, you, if we've never met before, um, thanks for showing up tonight. My name is Peter. I think I've met most of you, but there's also uh, a number of you that I've never met. So thanks for attending a random event at a water treatment center. If you've ever been around Eastlake, this is actually uh, raising the bar for quality um, because... Uh, we have low standards in this place. Um, so thanks so much for showing up on a random Sunday night in Bothell, Washington to attend this event. Um, tonight, I do want to welcome everybody, and I want to share, like, it's been two years since Eastlake has had an in-person event, which is crazy. Two whole years. March of 2020, we were in a series on the Enneagram. Gary Hale was speaking. He was the last Sunday, good old Gary, and then we shut it down for a long time. And so this is kind of the first foray back into an in-person event with people that might call themselves an East Laker. Um, some of you have been around East Lake for a decade. Others of you have like, oh, I just followed the online and I decided to show up this random thing tonight. Or I know one of you showed up because you've heard of Bart and you follow his podcast. I love all that. So thanks so much for being here tonight. Um, I did just want to share, um, I help kind of facilitate Eastlake with um, a great friend, somebody who's been around Eastlake for the last decade as well, Kristen Birchenall. And we're going to show a video from Kristen. So Kristen, unfortunately, tonight wanted to attend, but she got COVID. And it turns out it's just like the worst luck ever. Kristen's in the top, like, three people I know that are least likely to get COVID, like, extraordinarily careful. And it's just like the most terrible luck that she is not able to be here tonight. But she did record a video for us because she's fantastic. And she is kind of the brainchild alongside me in terms of keeping Eastlake going at some level for the last couple years. So I do want to show the video. So are you able to play that video real quick? I'm going to have everybody here from Kristen just for a quick minute here. Well, hello there. I am so sad to not be there tonight with you guys. I have COVID which is so ironic considering that I have been the person that's been like most holding out on what's risky and what's not and have like not gone to a restaurant in two years and been so scared of it. And then finally I was like, okay, it's over. It's kind of done. We can do stuff now. And then I get COVID two days before the party. Um, I'm especially bummed because tonight um, is such a special night. It's been such a long time since we've seen each other. And I just really wanted to be there. I wanted to be there to give hugs and say hello face to face. 
um, Peter and I have been talking often over the last two years, like, what is this thing? And who are these, um, you know, numbers on our screens of people who download the messages and watch the messages? Who are these viewers and people who still find this helpful? It was so important to me to be able to see you and to say thank you. Thanks for sticking with us over the last two years and to talk to you about what do you think? What did you like? What kinds of stuff do you want to hear about? All of those things. So I just really, really wish I could be there, but I don't want to get too sick. So here I am at home. Also, please send help because we're on day two of what, 10 days and my whole family is going crazy. Um, and my husband says he feels trapped and my kids are bored. So please SOS send help. Um, but I hope you guys have a blast tonight. Um, I'm so jealous you get to hear from Bart in person. I wish I could for that too. Um, but just know that I'm really thankful for you. I'm thankful for this community. We don't know what lies ahead, but we know we're always going to be willing to experiment and try new things. And as the landscape of spiritual life and spiritual communities is changing all over the world, um, sped up by the pandemic, we get excited about those opportunities, the chance to do something new and different and um, but still stay the same, stay the same, which is we've always wanted to provide meaningful content that helps you cultivate the kind of life that leads you to be a better, more loving person. And so we're going to keep trying to do that. Who knows where it will take us, but we're glad that you're along for the ride with us. So thanks for being there tonight. Virtual hugs to all of you. And I hope I do get to see you again in the not so distant future. So nice, right? That's a great video. I texted her. She did a great job. Um, again, pretty bad luck. COVID is going around. So that said, um, it's true. It's just, it's just really bad luck. Um, we have like canceled an event. We were going to do one in the fall and then Omicron. So we pushed it and we decided we're going to wait and then we gear up for this and then Kristen can't join. So all that said, um, thanks for being here tonight. As Kristen said, I, I kind of want to just jump and echo what, what she communicated, which is that we're thankful that people would attend and we're thankful that you would show up on a random Sunday night. Um, I think the, the headline for what is next for East Lake, I want to do a quick intro because we're going to hear from Bart in a minute. And the, the primary thing we're doing tonight, we wanted to create like half an hour, 45 minutes for you to go talk to other humans. For some of us, we haven't done this in a really long time in person. Like I'm not sure how many 50 to 80 person events you've been to in the last year, but it's probably fewer than you went to in 2019. And so for some of us, it might feel uncomfortable. And I'm like, oh, I have to like work out these muscles, the mingling muscles that I've never, haven't used in a long time. So we wanted to create some time for people to do that and connect. Hopefully it's a chance to connect with people that you maybe knew in, in life pre-COVID. And for others of us, maybe it's a chance to meet brand new people that are like-minded and share some basic values. But the headline for tonight, what we wanted to do was kind of continue the experiment. Um, East Lake, the way that I describe it is it's a pretty mediocre church over the years, but it's a fantastic experiment. And so in terms of like things, if you look about like the history of East Lake, like not, not, I mean, plenty of failure, plenty of mistakes, plenty of things that are like, interesting, you went that route. Um, but ultimately like a, a pretty special community and a special, I think, set of values that help people, I think, live meaningfully. Um, and so I, I listened to a podcast the other day I'm sure you're listening to content. Everybody is sharing podcasts. And I have to shout out my sister, Susie, who sent this podcast. Um, I made her sit in the front row like a true family member. 
Um, but she shared a podcast talking about like the next wave, like what is spirituality in the future? And it was the discussion about how religion isn't ending. Religion isn't over. It's just in transformation. People haven't stopped getting married. People haven't stopped celebrating new life, celebrating the death of people who lived a great life. People haven't stopped, um, you know, celebrating meaningful moments and marking meaningful moments. Just the environment in which those meaningful moments are happening, like the church doesn't own those exclusively. Like there's a lot of other ways people are living out those values. People are still raising funds for friends who are going through a a medical challenge or who have cancer. Like you don't need the church to do that. You don't need a specific like religious institution to do that. You can do that in a lot of ways. A lot of those things are happening online. A lot of those things are happening in workplaces. They're happening everywhere. So like the church doesn't own those things. It's just in transformation. And so I think as we're like, as Kristen communicated, we don't necessarily know what the future of Eastlake looks like, but we thought there's a semi-strong chance that there's a group of people that might want to get together for some beer and desserts. There's a semi-strong chance that if you were really interested in going to Sunday morning services, 9, 30, and 11, you'd be doing that somewhere else. <laughs> that, that maybe you're interested in that, and that's okay. Um, and that maybe you are attending another spiritual community uh, in the mornings on Sundays regularly, and you also want to go to this, which is totally awesome. But I've had a number of conversations with East Lakers over the last couple of years who are saying, you know what? It's been kind of nice to not have Sunday morning uh, commitments. And I really enjoy that. And I don't see myself going back to that. So we're trying to figure out, okay, if that's not the model, what does the model look like? What does the next experimental wave of what a spiritual community look like? What do they do? How many times they get together? What type of stuff do they do? So I just want to let you know that uh, we're continuing to experiment. Tonight is in and of itself an experiment. We didn't know who would attend. We didn't know who would RSVP. And like RSVPing on a random survey is different than actually showing up in person and being like, I'm going to go into that room and I'm going to go talk to some people I haven't talked to in two years. So the fact that you showed up in and of itself is kind of a courageous move. Thanks for doing that. And I I guess I just wanted to kind of start the evening by saying that we're going to keep experimenting with what this spiritual community is. We don't know what the model will look like in the next chapter, but we did think, eh, let's do a party or two, see who attends and see if we can have some interesting conversations with friends, people who are like-minded, and then hopefully hear from some interesting people on a question, do you believe in God? So we invited our friend, can you believe that we tricked Bart, (laughs) to coming to our first in-person gathering in Bothell, Washington. He lives in Cincinnati, but somehow we tricked him into coming all the way out here. So can we welcome Bart up here? What's helpful? Do you want some... I just space for your notes. I'm just going to set something down. Yeah. Okay. Hi. I'm so glad to see you. You're, you're, you're like my parents in the sense that every time I see you, you're a little smaller. Um, <laughs> That's good. Did you save that one for us? No, I just made that up. That's a good one. That's a really good bit. That's a really good bit. Hey, yeah. before, you, before we give you too much content, yeah, yeah, yeah. we send you on the rabbit trail. A couple things. We wanted to make this kind of interactive and a little bit of a Q&A. So if you have questions, so ultimately I'm going to like hopefully throw some quarters in the jukebox of do you believe in God? That's what we're talking about tonight. By the way, we post all of our content online. If you're not following, smash that subscribe button. And I'm just kidding. I don't actually, I I hate that sense. It makes me laugh so much. But if you want to ask Bart a question, um, you can go... That, there you go. You can scan this QR code. Those are very COVID friendly. It turns out everybody loves them. But you can also go to eastlakecc.com slash Q&A. If you want to throw a question in there, um, we'll make Bart answer it on the spot. Lightning round style. Yeah. 
It's so sad that in a room this small, people, we can't just go like, you can I also, have a question. Also, yeah, no, I couldn't do that. By the way, you totally can do that. <laughs> okay. If you yeah. want to do that. I just want to, yeah, because if, if you don't know how to use the QR code, which as I don't, um, I think it would be good for you to know you can, yeah. Oh, really? I messed it up? I'm sorry. It's okay. We'll oh, find it. Man. We'll find it. Technology is the best. By the way, Tom, did you send me the questions if people send them in so I can see them? That'd be great. Thank you. What do you want to talk about? Do you want to answer the well, question or do you want to share other stuff all, first? I'm just, I really am grateful to be here. And, and I, I don't know, some of you I've seen before because I've been here a few times before. And every time I, I come, I say, like, I'm so glad to be here. And I mean it every time. Um, partly because you're lovely and partly because... I used to be a really big-time Christian speaker who got invited to speak all over the world. And then I lost my faith, and nobody invites me anywhere anymore. And so I'm just I'm happy to be anywhere. Your standards um, got lower. Your standards yeah. went way down. Yeah, yeah. So um, <laughs> that's kind of like the theme of the evening. Like standards just reducing. Um, which probably I may have given away my answer to the question. But, you know, I, I told my wife, like, they want me to come out and give a talk uh, based on do you believe in God? She's like, it'll be the shortest talk you've ever given. <laughs> no, thank you very much. Um, what's that? At a wastewater. At a wastewater. Yeah, yeah. 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 So, so I, I really did think about, like, you know, as, as, as we were talking about this, I, I thought about, like, you know, I'm like a lot of you, probably, in the sense of, I grew up, and for a large chunk of my time, I didn't just believe in God, I really believed in God. I mean, I was, I was all the way in. And, and over the course of my life, I went through a process. And, and people often, when I, especially when I first came out as a post-Christian, people often wanted to hear, what was the process by which you lost your faith? Um, I think that was like a cautionary tale. Like, people are like, wow, if you could lose your faith, like, you used to preach to thousands of people. You were really into it. You lived in the inner city and worked with the poor. Like, you seemed really sincere. And, like, they're like, and you were lying all along. And I wasn't. I really believed in God. And I didn't just believe in God. I had faith in God. Um, and there's a difference. Um, there's a, there's a book that's out right now that I think is really good. It's written by a woman named Tanya Lerman. She's a social scientist, and it's called make, uh, uh, Making God Real, How We Make God Real. And as a social scientist, she studied all these faith groups. And what she found was it, was, it wasn't about like how we make up a belief system. Anthropologists have known that for a long time, the process by which we come up with these stories that we, that we tell. And, and that doesn't mean they're not true, that we came up with them. I'm just, they, they just know like different religions, how, how it comes. She's not talking about that. She says, that's a belief system. She said, the question really is, how do we manufacture faith? And by that, she means that lived experience where you go like, no, 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 I don't just believe in God. I talked to God. I felt God. I heard the voice of God. I saw a vision. When you're a, a post-Christian who comes into kind of like prominence in the secular community, a lot of the atheist speaker types, I know all those people, like the podcaster, they would have me on their shows and stuff. And sometimes they would sort of ask me these questions like they would mock me and they would say, oh, you must be so embarrassed, you know, talking about like, you know, when, when you heard the voice of God or you preaching sermons about how you felt, you felt the leading of the Holy Spirit, you know? And I was like, no, no, I, I don't, 
I don't believe in God anymore. But I had those experiences. Like, I felt something. I heard something. That's, that stuff was real. Like when, I'm out on, when I was out on a hillside with 100 kids and we were all lighting our candles and singing, I love you, Lord, and I lift my voice. Our God is an awesome God. I felt something. Like that was, the, you know, a social scientist might call it collective effervescence. I, I, I don't know what you would call it. A neuroscientist would call it, but the fact of the matter is it was real. And in her book, Tanya Lerman writes about like how much energy and how much work and how much preparation goes into creating experiences where God is real. And she goes and visits some religious communities and she spends a lot of time with them and she has a couple of religious experiences. She's a total atheist. She's like, I saw something. I felt something. I was with this Wiccan community and I saw black things in my hotel room one night. And she's like, I had gotten, I had entered into their practices. I had entered into their practices and, and the music was there and the movement was there and I was saying the words and I was going through the motions and the thing happened. And she's like, that, it doesn't mean it was there, but I saw it. And I think that that's a really important thing when you're gonna, if you're, if you're gonna be in a community of people who have a varying set of understandings about this stuff, who, are, who, have, who have different levels of woo that they can tolerate. Um, it's really important that you understand, that you, know, that you have respect. Not just for somebody else's beliefs, but for their experience. And that's what, you know, I would say to my secular friends, if you, I'm, you know, I'm sorry you haven't had any transcendent experiences. If you, if you haven't, you, know, you probably just haven't used the right drugs. <laughs> you haven't fallen in love with the right partner. You haven't been to the top of the right mountain. You, you, you haven't been in the crowd when they scored the right touchdown because like those experiences are real and they happen. And, and so I think like when you, when you ask that question, like, do you believe in God? Do I believe that there is a supernatural being that makes things happen on this earth? I don't. And I'm gonna be happy to tell you how and why I don't believe in that reality, but I don't actually think I can take any credit for what I believe. I, I, I didn't choose not to believe in God. I, I, I just don't. I can't. I could, but I can't. And you say, well, why did you change your mind? No, 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 I, I didn't change my mind. My mind was changed. It's a big difference. I, I couldn't change my mind. I don't think you could change your mind. I mean, I, 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 I mean, I, even if you were motivated, believe me, I was motivated to believe in God. I had a good, I had a good thing going believing in God. <laughs> My life would be so much simpler if I still believed in God. As motivated as I was, there came a moment when I couldn't do it anymore. I could have lied about it, but I couldn't really do it. And you, you don't choose what you believe. I mean, even if you're motivated, I could put a gun to Peter's head right now. I could put a gun to your head. Please don't. Yeah. And I, and I could say, I need you to believe in Islam. I need you to believe that Muhammad flew on a horse from Mecca to Medina in one night, the whole Islamic thing, the Quran, the whole thing. I need you to believe in it. And if you don't, I'm going to kill you and I'm going to kill all these people in this room. Be highly motivated. And, I'd put you on a, and I could put you on a lie detector test and say, do you believe that the Quran is the absolute truth? And you would fail that test. You don't choose what you believe. So your, your mind can change, but you can't change it. I think it's a really important thing to understand when you're in a conversation about this stuff. 
there's a question, isn't there, as, as, as to whether or not you're going to get together again or anymore, or try to be a community. I mean, that, that's sort of, the, that's sort of the, the underlying question in the air, right? And the one thing we do know about your community is that you won't be able to form a community around your shared beliefs. <laughs> you don't have many. Um, <laughs> The community that you form, if I understand it right, it's really formed around a shared value system. We value loving relationships. We value the process of, of thinking intentionally about what matters to us. We value um, caring for the needs of other people. We value creating space for people that may, may be lonely. You, you value all those things. Like, I have a community like that back home. And, and we, 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 we group our values. We used to only have three values. Our values were loving relationships and, and doing work that makes things better for other people and, uh, and cultivating gratitude and, and cultivating wonder. And we, and we didn't come by those randomly. We, 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 did a, we, we looked at a bunch of scientific studies and found out that those three things are the things that characterize people that live the longest and register the highest levels of well-being at the end of their lives. And we're like, yeah, that's what we want. Um, so we decided, and we, and we realized that like, even if you have values, most of us don't live out our values unless we surround ourselves with other people that share those values and support us in doing so. So whether you're trying to lose weight or get in shape or you know, sell lots of Amway, you need to gather with other people that, are, that, that share that value. But over the course of time, we added a fourth value. And when you asked me if I believed in God, it was the only value I thought was worth sharing with you because the other three you've got. The value that we added was this thing we call Worldview humility. And worldview humility says this. It says, I'm happy to tell you that I don't believe in God. And I'd be happy to tell you why, if you want to know. And you want to know the experience by which I came to not be able to believe in supernatural forces. And why I don't, you know, I don't have heaven. I, I could get it. And I really don't believe in God. Like, I would stake everything on that. I have kind of staked everything on that right? Now, don't get me wrong. I don't know. I can't prove it. I, I can't prove it to you. But I also can't prove to you that Justin Bieber didn't deposit $10 million in a Swiss bank account with my name on it. That's a possibility too. Justin Bieber has that kind of money. My name is in the phone book and there are Swiss bank accounts that will do that. It could be true. The, the only thing I can tell you is that I don't make a single decision in my life based on the idea of being a man. I, don't, I live as though there is no money there because I don't really believe that there is, even though it's possible. And that's how I kind of am about God. Like, I, I'm open to the possibility, but I don't make a single decision based on the God thing. I really think that's, I really believe that. But here's the thing. Although I think that my worldview is true, I figured out that that's not why I believe it. I didn't do some exhaustive study of all the worldviews in the world and did a careful, rational analysis and pick that one. I don't believe my worldview is true because it's true. I believe it because of my unique set of experiences and my temperament and the way I was raised as a kid. And, what's, and like, honestly, if you had my brain and my temperament and my experiences, you wouldn't believe in God either. Like, I can't take any credit for it. It was, sh I, I was shaped this way. I'm not able to believe those other things. 
But the thing is, like, if I was in Afghanistan and I was raised in a little village and everyone around me believed in Islam in a serious way and I was educated into that and my, all my childhood experiences were that and, and, they, and they created rituals and things in which I experienced Allah in that format and stuff, I would believe that and not this. And so when you see somebody with a different worldview from you, you may go like, how can you believe that? And what you should understand is that how could you not believe that? How could they not believe that? You go like, well, why don't you believe? If I really think I'm right, but I know that I, I don't think I'm right because it's actually right. It, I really do think it's right. Don't get me wrong. But that's not why I believe it. And so you have to have a little bit of humility when you encounter people in the world. And I would say that one of the values that you want to have in a, in a community that's built on loving relationships is that everybody has a little bit of humility, that you value that. And you say, like, listen, it's not so important to me what you believe as how you hold that belief. And if you can't hold it with a little bit of humility, with a little understanding about how people really come to have their beliefs and how real a belief can become to you if, if you want it to, then you don't really fit in our community. I don't know if I've, I, 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 I think I've, I mean, the answer to your first question was really easy. Do you believe in God? But what I'm trying to answer is like how I don't believe in God, if that makes sense. Not why, but this is how I don't believe in God. And I got to tell you, it's a really helpful thing if you're going to live in a world or be in a family with people who do. So maybe that's where I stop for now? There's a lot of questions already submitted. Okay. I, I had a quick follow-up. Thank you for your start. It's a great start. That was a thought. This is, this is a great thought. I'm just curious if you could maybe expound a little bit on like not choosing your beliefs. So, because I think that maybe we have the, at least I do, I want to think, maybe, and you could call this ego, but I want to think that I choose my beliefs consciously or I've intentionally chosen. I believe these things because yeah. there's evidence and there's reason and there's support for my beliefs. When you say you can't change your beliefs, but your beliefs, can't, you can arrive at them basically. I'm just curious if you could expand yeah, a little I mean, bit I don't more on say, that. I don't want to say you have nothing to do with it because like, for, you guys familiar with the Stanford prison experiment? Right, and and by the way, it's totally been discredited, and it's a terrible. It was terribly run, and anybody that quotes it is an idiot. So I shouldn't say much about it. <laughs> but the truth is that the Stanford prison is it's 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 sort of like the O.J. Simpson trial in the sense of like, did they frame him? Yes. Was he guilty? You you be the judge. Um, and was the Stanford experiment done terribly? Yes. Is its essential truth true? I think so. And the essential truth was this, is that they took two groups of people that were pretty much identical and they made some of them the prison guards and they made some of them the prisoners. And over the course of a week, the roles that they gave them shaped their behavior and the prisoners became morose and sad and, and despairing and the guards became abusive and contemptuous of the people that they were taking care of. And the point that the study made was is that our circumstances shape our identities, shape our feelings, okay? Now, it's interesting, not, not shapes our, our thinking, okay? Didn't change anybody's mind yet. 
But here's the weird thing. If you change the way a person feels, anybody that's involved in therapy, anybody's involved in behavioral change, anybody will tell you that the way you feel ultimately influences what? The way you think, the way you see the world. So if I can mess with your feelings, I can mess with your beliefs. I can mess with your worldview. I mean, that's how I became a Christian. Like, I didn't walk into that youth group and they were like, let us give you 18 reasons why Christianity is a plausible worldview. I mean, they couldn't have done that to save their lives. They loved the heck out of me. They gave me adults that showered affection on me. They put me in a support group of kids and and they told us that we were going to change the world. And we sang these big songs about love and meaning and stuff like that. And I I was loved into the kingdom, not reasoned into it. They changed my feelings. Oh, yeah. then, 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 they, then they can mess with your mind. Feeling, and, and, so, and so I guess what I'm saying is, is that on some level, you have some choice because you can look at a group of people that are treating each other a certain way and you can say, I'm going to go spend time with those people. And you go like, why? It's sort of like in the Stanford prison. There's the guards, there's the prisoners. You want to be morose? Go stand with those people. You want to become aggressive? Go stand with those people. You're like, is there a third choice? Um, and the answer is there are choices all around us. Do you want to value relationships? And do you want to, do you want to, do you want to cultivate gratitude? Maybe choose this group of people. You know, because that, that, that's ultimately the most choice you have. You, your choice is not whether you will be influenced by your context, right? Or whether, like, you, if, if you read that book, it may change your mind. You're like, well, you could choose not to read the book. And that's what I did for most of my Christian journey, is there were books out there and I chose not to read them. I instinctively knew, like, you don't want to, you, you know, like, so, so what we do is we, protect ourselves from influences because we know we're influenceable. So, so, that, so I don't want to suggest that you don't have any control over who you become or how you're shaped. But I got to tell you, most of the heavy lifting is done before you have any idea what's going on. Um, you know, that, that, it, it's like that John, you ever, you ever watch that movie High Fidelity? It's a great scene where John Cusack's yelling at his ex-girlfriend out the window. Actually, an ex-girlfriend is not there from his past. And he's saying, he, he's, he's litening all the people that have broken his heart. And, and he finally gets to his present girlfriend. And he says, yeah, I just listed five. Like, you, you breaking up with me hasn't touched me. If you really wanted to get to me, you had to get to me when I was really young. And that's how it is. If you really want to get to a person, you get to them young. And that's how, you know, that's the beginning of most of our spiritual journeys. Somebody getting to us while we were young. Hey everyone, it's Kristen. Just wanted to take a moment to say thank you for tuning in. I hope that you're finding these messages helpful for you in your everyday life. Um, That's what we're trying to do here is gather around the idea that life is a gift and love is the point and let's give ourselves ways to move forward in that in our own everyday world. Um, So I wanted to take a moment to say thank you for being a part of this community. To those of you who have participated and given financially, we wanna say thank you to you. 
Everything that we do here happens because people make contributions. People say, I value this place, I want it to exist for me and for other people, and so I'm going to support it. And so we just want to say how grateful we are um, that you do that. And for those of you who maybe haven't had a chance to contribute yet, um, we would ask you to consider maybe doing so. If you find this place beneficial, if you find these messages helpful for you, then um, consider joining us in that way. You can go to eastlakecc.com to make a contribution, um, and we just always are thankful for the people who want this place to exist. So thanks again for tuning in. Let's get back to the message. I got a good follow-up here. A lot of questions. These are great. I'm going to start. Oh, cool. I'll, 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 I'll make the answers way shorter from now on. That's great. You're doing great. This is, this is going exactly how I wanted it to. Yay. Um, I'm curious. Here's a question here. Like, what's your take on the sacred? So just that idea of, like, in your worldview, are there things that you hold sacred now that you've been away from Christianity for a number of years? What does it look like to hold things sacred? Right? That's a term that I think comes from our story upbringing. Christianity certainly has this idea of certain things are sacred and certain things aren't. Is there still a role of things that are sacred in your life now? Yeah, that's a great question. I got these friends at Harvard. Um, they, they don't go to Harvard anymore. You do? That it makes one of us. I don't have any friends at Harvard. Uh, Congratulations. Yeah. No, it's, no, it's, no, it's funny. I was thinking about how the joke I was making about, like, you were this big mega church and now you're this. Um, and, uh, and, and, and how, like, we're saying, and, like, that's sort of, like, the story of my life, my whole career. Like, I, I never showed more promise than when I was 21 years old going to an Ivy League university. And my career has been just, like, less relevance ever since. I just keep shrinking. But there was a time, yeah. So um, my friends who are still relevant at Harvard have this group, that, and, and, and what it's called Harry Potter, a sacred text. I don't know if you ever heard of these people. But what they do is they really, they were all Christians. And when they left Christianity, one of the things they missed the most was Bible study. Bible study was really cool. I don't know if you ever remember Bible study, but like you would pick a section of the text and you would read it. And, and, and the task was to figure out what this text, how you could apply this to your everyday life, right? So it was a shared text and it, historic text. And they were like, yeah, we don't believe in any, of, in any of that stuff. Like we don't believe those texts are true, but it was really cool taking something out there and trying to figure out what, what does that mean to us? And it meant different things to us at different points in our lives. And so they started doing it with Harry Potter. They were like, this is a book we've all read. And it's about morality and friendship and relationship and overcoming evil. And so they would pick a passage of Harry Potter and they would treat it like a sacred text and they would read it and talk about it. And, then, and they would go like, what, what do you think Ron meant by that when he was saying that to her, her, Hermione? And, 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 and they would go like, okay, so I think that the, the message of the text is this, or at least what I take from it is this. Well, how would you apply that in your relationships? Well, you know, I, I have some people that I need to be loyal to too. And this is what, you know. And they found that it worked very similar to them. And what they said, and it reminded me of the teaching of Karl Barth, the great Protestant theologian, who said that the Bible isn't sacred because it was dictated by God. He said, what makes a text sac sacred is when a group of people use it in a way that changes their lives. When I was a young man, I went to the Getty Museum in Los Angeles, and they had Abraham Lincoln's hat there. Like, like the, you know, the, the hat, they had a, that was his hat. And I looked at that hat. I stayed there for hours. I couldn't believe it. I mean, this is one of the great human beings. And there, he had worn that hat. 
There was nothing special about that hat. That hat was made in a factory. There were a thousand more like it. What made it special was what? Who wore it, how he used it, right? How it was used. So here's the thing. A text could become sacred if a group of people used it over and over again in a way that made them better. My friends at home, we're, we're, we're collecting sacred texts. You say, oh, do you just pick a really great Mary Oliver poem and say like, boom, it's sacred. You can't do it. That's not how it works. You take a, a text like a, a, rich, a Robert Ingersoll quote or a Mary Oliver poem or, uh, or any, any sort of thing that moves you and you share it with a friend. Maybe it moves them too. And then maybe in a conversation a week later, or a month later, or a year later, they bring it up and they go like, it's like that Mary Oliver thing. Oh yeah, yeah, I sent that to my mother. And she said, and some texts within a community, they circle around and they get used over and over again. And pretty soon people go like, that text is, that's built our community. We keep quoting it to each other. It's more meaningful because I remember when you said it to me when my kid was in the hospital, and then, oh, I remember, and then, and then you brought it up. And then at her funeral, she wanted that same passage read because it had meant so much to her. And the text becomes sacred because we use it in a, in a community of shared values that love each other. And so like what I say is like, I don't say that their texts aren't sacred. I say that if, if, you're, if you can't believe in God, you probably need to come up with some new sacred texts. And you go like, oh, I'll just do that myself. You can't. Something can only become sacred in the context of a group. It can be special, it can be meaningful to you, but it can only become sacred when it transcends you, when it becomes bigger than you, when it's gonna get passed around by your community even after you're gone. When I was at USC, I was the chaplain there and we had this lovely fellowship that we built up there. And I gave a couple of the kids this book that I thought was really important. It's about worldview humility in some sense. It's a book called The Righteous Mind. Um, by jo a, a writer named Jonathan Hyde. Have any of you ever heard of this book? Have any of you ever read this book? Isn't, you, you, can you see why that would be a great book for a group like that? You know, so, 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 so the kids loved it. It changed the way that they saw their families and their parents. It gave them respect for people that were different from them. They, it changed them and they passed it around and new kids would come in the group and they would be like, what's this all about? Yeah, you, know, you should read this book. You're really, you know, that's kind of what we're into. And that book became a kind of like part of the canon of that group. I bet you if I hung out with the East Lake insider crowd, I bet you there's some things that you go like, yeah, that's kind of in the canon. We've all seen that movie. We've, we've, we've all read that book. We pass that around, it's important to us. That's what I think sacred means. And, and I think like a place can become sacred. Um, I don't know if any of you grew up going to the same vacation house every year and you built a, a layer of, a level of memories in that place and you're, it's, 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 it's sacred to your family. And if it burns down, it hurts really badly and you can't replace it because it's, 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 it's special. Like, I think that that's what we do as human beings. We're as tribes, tribes make things sacred um, and they're sacred to a tribe. And once again, we'll worldview humility, just because something ain't sacred to you, doesn't mean it's not sacred to somebody. And so you have to treat it with respect. Do you have something in your, that comes to mind when I'm like, what's sacred for you and your family? Oh, yeah. I mean, I have a, I have a few things. But if, if I was going to say a text that was sacred to us, 
Um, yeah, I would, say, I would say the text that would be sacred to us, and, and I'm, I'm, it's terrible, um, it's called Coming Home, and it's by Mary Oliver. And my daughter had it at her wedding, and my son had it at his wedding, and my wife has sent it to many of our friends. And it's, it's a poem about being at rest in a certain kind of relationship. And it's the kind of relationship that our family values above all. And so, yeah, that would be a sacred text in our family. That's great. Here's a couple, there's a couple of different questions that all speak to the same thing. So what would you recommend? Oops. It's not called Coming Home, it's called Providence. I, I get the name wrong every time. I'm sorry. Good, Mary Because I know some of you are like, well, I want to laugh. Providence. Google it, yep. Go ahead. Um, what would you recommend for interacting with people who don't share your worldview? So whether that's you do believe in God and you are hearing Bart talk right now, or the alternative, you would say, you know what, I'm agnostic, or I wouldn't say I have a strong God belief, yeah, yeah. but my parents do. Um, that'd be an example that's close to home for me, or my in-laws do, or my whatever, friend, best friend does. How do you recommend interacting? Okay, this is, I guess, the product placement part of this uh, thing, because like, I've thought deeply about this subject. I actually wrote a book with my Christian father about this subject. I'm, we made a documentary film called Leaving My Father's Faith. Would you like to watch that movie? I have a podcast called Humanize Me, and half the episodes are about how you relate to people who believe differently than you do. So, like, like, so if you would like me to, to, to sum it all up in a paragraph, screw you, it's my life work. Um, it's fair, it's fair. I will give you this, though. I will... I, I mean, like, the worldview humility thing is a good start on it, is what I'm saying. But, like, here's, here's the main thing is, when you have to tell somebody that you believe differently than they do, there is a tendency that we have to assume that they're going to be negative about that and to present it defensively and to sort of proclaim it, to sort of defi like defiantly say, well, you know, I, I don't believe in God. What are you going to do about it? Or to say, well, you know what? I am a Christian and doggone it. And, and to present it. And what I, what I have found is much more effective in terms of opening the conversation and building the relationship, but in also in terms of making your belief system seem attractive, which, you know, we all have that little evangelist in us that are like, if we're cool enough, they'll want to join us. Um, right? Yeah. yeah. Once you are, you know... Smart as me, you'll arrive at my beliefs yeah, yeah, too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's the yeah. opposite of worldview humility. But so, yeah. so this is both kinder and also more strategic. C confess your belief rather than proclaim it. Go like, you know, I, I, I can't believe in God. Not I don't or I won't. That's like a big, you know, screw you. Like I, I think it's too. No, I, I can't. You know. If I was able to, I probably would. Um, but I, I, I can't. Like, I'm not able to. I, I, you know, somebody like me, I tried. I tried. I tried everything I could. And you go, like, well, what if you're a Christian? And you go, like, you know, I know it's crazy. I mean, even my Bible says it's foolishness. But I can't stop believing it. Like, it just... It rings true to me, or, or like, I, I can't get it out of my head. And, and, and believe me, the secular person that you're talking to, They'll understand because if they're anything like me, they're like, I don't believe it and I still can't get it out of my head. I'm haunted by the God I don't believe in, right? Like sometimes I'm about to have fun doing something and 
he calls me not to do it. And I go, wait, I, you, you don't even exist. But I, but I, I, we struggle. Like, and I know a lot of people that are like really scared of going to hell. That really, that, that, that really are, are, are worried about judgment. That and and they go, like, like, it's not rational, but it, but it still works upon us. So I think like in some ways to confess, to say to the person like, look, I can't help being this way. I'm, I'm sorry. You know, I don't mean to offend. It's just, it's, I'm kind of stuck with this. Because then it invites the question like, well, what happened to you? And then you get to tell your story, which is a much better thing than telling your beliefs. People are really interested in your story. Most people could care less about what you believe, but they're interested in your story. It's a much better way to have a conversation about spiritual things. It reminds me of this joke. Uh, do you know the old joke? Uh, um, guy goes to a psychiatrist and uh, he says, Doc, that's uh, my brother, man. He, 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 he's, gone, he's crazy. He thinks he's a chicken. And the, the psychiatrist says, well, why don't you bring him in? He says, I would, but we need the eggs. <laughs> um, Just because somebody's belief isn't true doesn't mean it doesn't work for them. And that's the other thing about like all this like trying to convert other people to believe what you believe or not believe what, what, they, don't, what they believe. You better be really careful about that, right? Because they may need the eggs, okay? They may need the eggs. So, like just because a belief system isn't true doesn't mean it doesn't work for you. Alain Dubouton, the, the, great, the great sort of secular writer, once said, wrote, um, I think it was, he said, the most boring and, un, and unproductive question you can, any, one can ask about any religion is whether or not it's true. The real question is whether it works and how it works. And the thing is, like, you have a nice little community here. I hope you know that, like, in the whole wide world, there are maybe, like, seven of these. There are not a lot of places for people who don't believe in God to gather with people who are committed to loving relationships and, and, and trying to figure out how to make their, themselves better and how to be servants of their community. That doesn't exist a lot of places. So if you blow somebody's faith up so that they can't fit into their church anymore, what, what do you got to offer them? You say, well, do you ever help people become secular humanists? Sure, when their faith is so broken that they can't ride it anymore, I'm gonna go like, oh, there's another way to pursue being a good person. Boy, some of the people that come to me, man, all they got is a taillight out. They're like, I'm giving up on Christianity because Christianity doesn't accept gay people. And I'm like, ah, man, I got a lot of Christians. I, I got a church over here. Here's a book. Like, a, you can be a Christian and accept gay people. That, that, that's a workaround. They go, but they're, they're distorting the scripture. I'm like, yeah, they're all distorting the scripture. It's okay. <laughs> right? But the point is, like, if somebody can, is, you know, and they go, like, why are you trying to help me stay a Christian? I'm like, your mother's a Christian. Your father's a Christian. Your girlfriend's a Christian. Your husband's a Christian. Your children are Christian. You love church. You sing in the choir. Like, you would be better off if you can stay and it's worth. Now, again, the question, now, now not, if the, not if your Christianity is making you into a racist, awful person, but, but half the people I know, their Christianity is making them more loving and more kind. It's providing them with consolation and, 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 and it gives them a structure for their lives. It keeps them off drugs. Be careful that you take away somebody's belief system unless you've got a community and, 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 and a worldview to offer them that's gonna yield the same benefits. I mean, I spend my whole life trying to come up with forms of secular community that will provide guidance and, 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 and morality and, and, and consolation in the face of grief because that's all this life is at a certain point. It's just a lot of grief. 
And the older you get, the more grief there is. And you, boy, you need something. And, 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 and the thing, thing is that all those new atheists, they're really good at explaining why Christianity is bullshit and poison, but they're not really good at telling people what to do when their sister just died. Now, I think there's a lot of good secular things you can say to somebody when their sister just died, but not many people know how to say them yet. And so you just got to be really careful. There may come a time when, when you can casually proclaim that Christianity isn't the best system, but there better be, there better be some place for people to go if they, if they buy into that. Does that make sense? Yeah, okay. Good. Wait, I see a guy with his hand up. Now, does he get to jump the line or does he yeah. have to wait a few? I'm, I'm comfortable. Brian's okay. been around. You get to jump the line. Let's go for it. So what do you say when your sister just died? Yeah. Ah, oh, there you go. That's a great follow-up. I'll tell, you, I'll tell you what I say to, I, I'll give you the worst case scenario and I'll tell you what I said. The worst case scenario is when you're dealing with a young parent and their child has just died. And there's nothing you can say that makes that a good thing. And so the first, and, and, and this is one of the places where I love not being a Christian because I don't have to do any apologetics. I don't have to explain how somehow a loving God allowed this to happen or caused this to happen, and it's part of some larger plan. I'm really grateful to be free from that nonsense. But what I do say is this. I say the first thing I have to say is, this is a terrible tragedy, and I'm so sorry, and nothing I can say will make it better. I know that. But I do want to say, some, not in this moment, but I do want to, I do want to say a few things. And the first thing I want to say is that like, my understanding of this world is, is that of all the energy and all the matter in the universe, a very, very small percentage of it ever gets to achieve consciousness, ever gets to be alive. It's an incredible privilege to be alive. Um, it's incredibly pro improbable. When I was a Christian, I used to sometimes wonder why you only get 90 years. So I'm like, shouldn't there be more? But like, Honestly, the fact that we get a moment of it, the fact that we get a day is incredible. It's a, it's a miracle. So one of the things that I say is, it's a tragedy that your child didn't get more life. It's a tragedy that they didn't get more life. But I'm still glad that they lived at all. Most of the time I ask young parents, I say, given the pain that you're in right now, do you wish your child had never been born? And they always, they always smile and say, oh, no. No, even the ones that lose them a day in or two days in say, no, no, no. No, I'm glad they exist. And I said, the thing is this. The pain that you're in right now is a reflection of the fact that you love that child. They got to experience you, the highest thing in the universe. They were loved. And even if they were just a little baby, like, there's all sorts of studies that would suggest a baby hears those words. They don't know what they mean, but they feel the love. Like, like a baby that's loved responds differently than a baby that's not being loved. So your child, they got to experience your love. And that's not nothing. And that's not nothing. And so I say, like, I'm, I'm really sorry. It isn't enough but it's something very precious that you shared and it honors you that you're hurting this way and it honors your child. And you're like, does that help? Not much in the moment, 
But a lot of times people come back afterwards and they say, that was helpful. And they said that one of the things that's the most helpful about it was, is it gives me something to say to myself and to each other when we just are lost. That isn't, this is better, or God needed another angel, or any of the other bullshit that people say to you. Because like, the funny thing is, most of my Christian friends, when they hear me talk about this stuff, they say, you know what? We hate saying the stuff we're supposed to say. It doesn't ring true even to us. It's very painful to say those things. You say, well, why do you say them? Because we don't know what else to say. So to some degree, that, that, that's some essence of it. It has to do with like how precious this life is and that it's so precious that even a little bit of it is better than nothing. And the fact that matters is all, all of us, you know, there's, there's a finitude to all of us. And it's precisely that finitude that makes life so precious. Ingersoll said really well, he said, you know, if we were to live forever, we might never love anybody that it is precisely the knowledge that the feast must end that makes us so anxious to connect with each other. And, and so like, you know, like death is sad, but death is part of the bargain and it's a really good bargain. I love that. I think it's beautiful. A couple things you triggered, I think that are interesting, or we'll go down a couple of different paths yeah, yeah. here. One is, the question here about belief versus faith. Yeah. You kind of distinguish between belief versus faith. So you were saying if we can't choose our beliefs, at some level we arrive at our beliefs or our beliefs are chosen for us or we kind of arrive. We maybe. inculcate them, yeah. 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 They're, they're, they're. Um, so what's the role of faith then? In, in, in Tanya Lerman's thing, which is like, is like, belief is like in your head. Faith is like your experience. It's an experiential thing. And what she would say is that faith is primarily generated not by ideas, but by practices. Does that make sense? Like, it's, it's by going through, I mean, Jewish people, you know, like, like it's funny, like, when, when, I, when I went secular, all my, all my Jewish friends were like, oh, man, you know, because I'm losing my career, everything's out the window, my Jewish friends are like, oh, man, it's so sad you weren't a Jew. So, you know, you don't have to believe anything to be a Jew, you just have to do the stuff, <laughs> right? Like, most, half the rabbis that I know don't believe in God. Oh, that's, that's genuinely true, like, that's a real thing. Secular rabbis, you're like, why? Because they, they go, that's God's problem if you believe in him or not. If he wants you to believe, he'll give you the faith. If he doesn't care, he evidently doesn't care. What matters is, do you keep kosher? Do you practice? Do you, do you observe the rituals? Because the rituals are what hold us together. And the rituals are what keep us out of trouble. And the rituals ultimately take us to the right place. And so she's like, faith is what gets generated when you go through the motions. You're like, well, that's what sucks about like being secular is like there are no motions to go through. And I go, oh, you better you better invent some really fast. You better invent some for yourself really fast. And you go like, like you mean like getting together once a month to sing songs and listen to listen to somebody talk about what makes life meaningful. Like, that might not be a bad ritual. In the Harry Potter Bible study, that might not be a bad ritual. You go like. Like reading a sacred text, that might, you know, do, how about a mindfulness meditation every morning? That might not be, like, you like, but why do I have to have a ritual? I mean, like, there's no God imposing it. Like, no, 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 it's not that God imposes the rituals, it's the rituals that create God. And if you want to have a secular value system that, that serves that function, that tells you what's right, 
and, the, and, the, and, and it guides you and it gives you consolation in the moments of, tr of, tr of, tr of trouble. You, you, better, you better come up with something. so that you, Because the, the thing is, is that when the chips are down, when you're in the struggle, right? When the chips are down, you can't think it up then. It's just got to be a part of you. It's just got to be muscle memory. So you got to do, you got, you got to read those texts over and over again so that when you need them, they're right there in your head. You got to remind yourself that, 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 that your life is about building loving relationships and doing work that matters and, and, and cultivating gratitude so that when your kid and you are in a huge fight and he goes like, I don't even know what this family is all about. You go like, look, look, this family is about these three things. You got, you, and, and you say what? Well, you know, so that's what a religion, like what, 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 a, what an academic would do is they would say, here's a lecture. Let me tell you this information that's really helpful to you. That's going to change your life. But a religious framework says, no, 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 I'm not going to tell you a different thing every week. I'm going to tell you the same thing 10 times a day until it becomes a part of you. And when you're secular, the good news is, is that you don't have to have that imposed upon you. You, have to, you get to decide, but you get to decide what you say 10 times a day. You don't get to decide whether you have to say it 10 times a day for it to become part of you. That's just part of being a human being. You don't say it 10 times a day, it's not going to become part of you. You think all those religions are crazy? You think Islam is still around because it's so logical? Do you think Christianity, like it's because it builds in five times a day you pray. It's the rituals that make, that make a faith come alive. And you go like, so are you trying to build a secular faith? Yeah, I'm trying to build a faith in loving relationships. I'm trying to build a faith in doing work that makes things better for other people. I'm trying to build a faith in gratitude. I'm trying to build a faith in worldly humility. And what is the faith? The faith is that if we do these things, our lives will have more meaning than if we, do, than if we don't. That's good. That's a good note. Sam. Do you yeah, sense exactly. I'm like I'm trying to preach Seriously. this because I miss being a preacher, but it's not really that. It's that preaching is a different thing than lecturing. And if I was if I was reorganizing East Lake, I would make sure that you tell your people that like, look, it may sound like a lecture, but be sure you think of it like a sermon, mm -hmm. because you see, a, a lecture is supposed to make you more informed. A sermon is supposed to change your life. Yeah. It's supposed to change the way you live or reinforce a change you've already made, right? And I, what I'm saying is like, we've got to learn to talk to each other with emotion and with feeling and with vibe. We've got to learn to like manipulate our emotions. You go like, why do you want to manipulate your emotions? Because it's the emotions that change the behavior, that change the thinking, that change the emotions. It's all mixed up together and we just don't do enough feeling stuff. We secularists. We think it's all, we're all in our heads. We're all in our heads. I got a good follow-up question here. That's okay, wait, wait, can I, before you do that, yeah. how yeah. are we doing on time? Like, what, what's our time I think situation? we got 15, 20 minutes. Probably. Okay, okay. So I think we're okay. Okay. I mean, obviously, nobody's got a seatbelt. So if you got to leave and you're ready to roll, you got to roll. <laughs> My wife yeah. leaves immediately. <laughs> oh, look, look at it. She's like, get me the hell out of here. No, no, it's okay. It's, she's doing great. She's super offended by the last thing you said. Uh, I just, I just do No, it's just probably true. <laughs> she's being a helpful. She's watch helping kids and our child cares up. Um, I have a question for you. It's a follow up to what you just said last because you were talking about those four values and, yeah, yeah. and living meaningfully. And this feels a little bit connected to our conversation earlier this week. Two things you said. One was we get to take a vacation from non-existence. Like life is a vacation from yeah, yeah. non-existence. And I just found that such to be such like a meaningful sentence because. 
I think we think of life as short as opposed to thinking of non-existence as long, right? So, like, our default status is not consciousness. Our default status is actually non-existence. So to, to get 75 years, to get a year is a gift, See, um, which sounds a lot like life is a gift. But um, one of the questions that came through here, which felt similar to something we discussed this past week, was with the loss of heaven and, and the afterlife, where do you now find hope and motivation for this life? So... I think for, for those of us maybe that grew up quite religious or Christian, the thing was the afterlife. We're living for the next thing, right? So, like, do you feel, like, did you go through a grieving pattern of, like, I don't, like, have a reason to live and now I have to find it? Like, what's your, like, purpose and motivation now without maybe the God structure? I, you know, I, like, I understand the question, but I, I, like, don't understand the question. Do you know what I mean? In, in the sense of this, like, I understand the question because, like, having the heaven thing out there was a big deal for a lot of us. Um, I was just with an evangelical friend two days ago and he's a missionary in Guatemala and he has just given up everything. His kids were raised far away from their grandparents. His wife and he lived in fairly kind of like social isolation because they were dealing with all these gang members and they, they were with people they cut about. It's just a mess. And he's just sacrificed everything and it's all for the afterlife. And it just, it just breaks my heart, you know, um, to, to watch him do it. So I, I understand the question. But the truth of the matter is like, I always say to some kids says to me, if there's no heaven, I, you know, what's the point of this life? And I'm like, did you go to a movie last, last night? Like, because like, if I tell you like, this movie's going to be over in two hours. Do you go like, well, then what's the point? You know, like, like it's, it, no, like it's, I know it's finite, but it's still a really good movie. Like you enjoy it as a beginning and a middle and an end. And like, it's, it's something. And I think that's a little bit like, my, my thought is like, does the fact that this life is finite, like somehow evacuated of meaning? It, it, it doesn't to me. Um, and so, this is the harder question. And maybe it's related to this. And, and if it's not, bring that question back. Because a lot of people say to me like, what do you, like, but, 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 but if there's no God, then what's the meaning of all of this? What's the meaning of, of life, not, right, what's the meaning of life? I do not believe that life has any meaning. Like, I don't believe that there's somebody out there who created all this purposefully with a purpose in mind. I don't think there's any purpose to life, to this universe. I believe there's a great deal of meaning within the universe. We create that meaning by caring about each other. And so meaning is completely subjective. You mean something to me if, if, if we develop a relationship, if I care about what you think, and if, I, if, I, if, I'm, if I'm hurt when I see you get hurt, or if I'm happy when I see you get happy, you mean something to me, and I can mean something to you. And we generate that meaning by caring about each other. You can have a baby, and you didn't care about that child. That child didn't exist. And 10 months later, it pops out, and you're like, I love you. you have cr this baby is very meaningful to you, and it didn't, you created meaning. You, you've created something that's meaningful to you, and as it grows up, you will become meaningful to it. And so like you have invented meaning. You have generated meaning sui generis out of nothing. Right? We are, we are the meaning in the universe. We are not the meaning of the universe. 
We are the meaning in the universe. And, and so like if somebody says to me, what's the point of my life? I go like, from externally, there is none. You will die in 100 years from now, no one will remember you. And, 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 and millions of years later, you, you, the, the, the planet itself will be burned up and everything that you've created and every book you ever wrote will be consumed with it. And there will be no record of you in the universe. You matter not at all <laughs> in the broad scheme of things. But you can matter to me and I can matter to you in this brief moment. And so all the meaning that is available to us is right here and now and it's made by loving each other. And so if you want to have a meaningful life, you've got to commit to love because that's how meaning is created. And so it's like that, that, you know, that's the thing is that like without heaven to motivate me, you know what it motivates me is? What motivates me is running out of time. This is it. This is my shot. This is, this is my chance to, 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 to create connection, to create meaning. And you go like, don't you want to leave a mark? That, no, no mark will last. You're plowing the ocean. It, it, like, it, and nothing's, you look behind you, it's nothing. Calvin, Conan O'Brien tells a vivid story of going to Calvin Coolidge's grave in Maine. And, and it's this little grave and it's grown over and nobody goes to visit it. Nobody knows who Calvin Coolidge is. And he was the president of the United States. At one point he was the most powerful person on the planet. Nobody cares. And we're talking like not even three or four generations later. Like you think anyone's gonna remember you? You think you matter in the broad scheme? That, but you could, like, you could choose right now to walk out there, make a new friend, and you could really matter to that person. I could, in, I could introduce you to kids in my neighborhood that are so desperate for somebody to care about them that even you, even if you're not really gifted, you're not really, like if you just showed up, you could become one of the most significant people in their lives, easy street. Like, if you want meaning, no problem. You can be, meaning, uh, you, you can be meaningful. I can make you meaningful in a, in a heartbeat. That's not the issue. The issue is if you want permanence. And if you want permanence, you should look to a different religion. I, I got nothing to offer you there. I love that question from whoever submitted it. I have compassion for it. And I've, I've felt it similarly because I was, I was talking with you this week about what we were going to talk about this week. And one of the questions I asked was related to, essentially, I feel like I give God, I gave God credit for per, like living intentionally. So I assumed that because I believed in God, I, I filled that God bucket with, I live intentionally, I have these habits, I have these goals and values, and I like head down this path because of my belief in God. And you reminded me that, well, there's plenty of people who don't believe in God that still live intentionally. Um, like, you didn't own that. <laughs> you, just because you had your belief in God, that didn't mean you were the only person that, like, had values that you tried to live out. So I think that question about heaven just kind of reminded me of, of our discussion a little bit. And it kind of made me want you to, maybe if I could spur you towards the idea that you talked about how love, maybe we can wrap on this note, is just how love is your best strategy for living a meaningful life. So love is not essentially love is, is the most strategic path to having as many meaningful experiences in the brief window of time we have on planet Earth. Yeah, and, and I want to be really clear about something. Like, when my friends and I, like, when we get together and sort of share this value system, like, this is our way. 
okay? It's a way. It's not the way, okay? And, and I want to tell you that, like, this, this is maybe the most important thing I have to tell you on this worldview humility thing. Because, like, I gave up believing in God a good five, six, seven years before I gave up being a fundamentalist. I was, I was a fundamentalist Christian, then I gave up Christianity, and I became a fundamentalist atheist. And what I mean by that is not I became militant and angry. It meant that I was on a desperate quest to find the one true way to make the most of this life. Because there is just one way, you know. There's one right, best way to make the most of this life. And I was down and determined to find out what it was. And I studied all the science stuff, and I came to the conclusion that it had to do with relationships and love, you know, and stuff like that. And then I, and, and then I met an autistic kid, um, really high-functioning guy, but, like, couldn't connect to save his life. Like, he could do math, he could make money, he could, but, like, just... Now, if I say to him, listen, the key to life is, is building loving relationships... It's just foreign to him. So for him to make the most of his life, he's going to have to take a different path. Now, he can still contribute. He can do work that matters. And he, he, he values that. And he wants the admiration of other people at a distance. He wants to publish papers that other people read. And he, and he, and he recognizes, he wants the recognition in that, in that world. But like, he does not want to talk to anybody. So I, I, I better not make love the kind of love we're talking about. I better not make that my idol or my icon or he's screwed. Think of it, it's like a bell curve. You, you know the bell curve thing, right? You've seen that? Like for, for most people in, in the middle, like loving relationships are really crucial. Like, and most people, if they're, if they're isolated or lonely, their lives fall apart. Like look at COVID, right? Most people, and it damages people and it takes people time to recover. Some of you are like, I'm, I'm having trouble recovering right now. Like, I wanted to be with people, but like my, I ran out of energy about 30 minutes ago. Could I go now? <laughs> and I'm not kidding. I'm not kidding. That's what, right. Our stamina for relationships is low down. Like, like, but but that's, that's a lot of people. But there's some people for whom COVID was wonderful. They're so glad they didn't have to be with anybody because like the whole world became like Asperger's. Yeah. Everybody's cut off. Everybody's isolated. And they were like, I know how to do this. Okay. And there are other people at the other, like, you know, I, I got a friend who's a pedophile, okay? He's a straight up pedophile. His, he's 60 years old. His whole life always wanted to do is have sex with 13-year-old little boys. He's never done it, okay? He has denied himself. He's, he's never been, and he's never told anybody that he's, that he's a pedophile. And so he's lived in complete isolation. Like, like who he is has been so distorted and, and messed up because he's trying to do the right thing. And like, you could, you could say, you could judge him for any, and you'd be crazy. He's a, moral, he's a moral hero. He's a paragon. He sacrificed so much not to hurt anybody. But like, you can't have a like, this is the way. This is, there's no one way. Like what, 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 for him to make the most of his life, given what he's got to work with, he's got to make one set of choices. This Asperger's guy has to make another. And, and you and I, we, we get to do something different. So I, I think like, I think when you have those values, like love is, Love is the best strategy for the most people. It's the one that evolution, by the way, sort of like that's our great adaptation. We, we, we don't dominate the world because we're stronger or because we have bigger teeth or because we can fly. We dominate the world because like we're so smart. And the reason we're so smart is because we have these really big brains, way bigger than could ever exit a woman's birth canal. 
So what we evolved to do is have children with little tiny brains that can't take care of themselves and don't know anything. And the way we did that was by evolving that the kids would be so cute and that we would have these hormones that would make us love them so that we would nurture them for like five, 10, 15 years before they were able to, 20 years, 35 for some of your children, I'm sorry. <laughs> right, but we, we love, we, our, our love, and, and so the brains were able to get bigger. And so like we were able to do all these, cooperate, build all the stuff because we love each other. Like love is our adapt, is the human adaptation. It's our survival strategy. And once you recognize it, and, and you go like, well, if that were the case, then we would feel unhealthy if we were isolated. We would become depressed and morose. Right? <laughs> you go like, well then, what if they developed a technology that isolated us from each other, that made us want to stay home and read articles about each other instead of being together. You'd like, well, then you'd end up with a lot of people that were hugely entertained and loved Facebook and were really depressed and anxious most of the time and couldn't figure out why. You see where I'm going, right? So like, love, like the thing to do about love is to take it out of the realm of airy-fairy poetry and think about love in a really functional, practical way as like, this is like, and you, you have to almost define it. Like love has to do with like, we, like actively be willing to make sacrifices for the well-being of somebody else because their well-being will then cycle back and, and trigger a bunch of endorphins that make you feel good. Like lo love is this thing where I go like, my DNA stands a better chance of, do, of, of making it if you're, do, if you're doing okay, because you're in my tribe. So like, like it's really selfish. My, lo my love for you is self-interested. My DNA says loving you is a good idea and yours says loving me is a good idea and, the, and our DNAs are right. So like love is this instinct, love is this practical need, love is like food and air and you ignore it at your peril. And so, that, that, so it's like when, when, when people are asking me like how can I live long and prosper? Like I don't tell them love because it's a moral imperative because God called me to it. I just go like look, I've, I've, I've seen the research. You better figure out how to make some connections. That's great. I had another question connected to that, and it was just a question about... I feel the energy in the room just dying as I'm speaking. You ready? I do. I don't think so. No, I, 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 I see you. I feel you. You're dying. And so... Th this, Let's wrap on this. Could this be the last one? Yeah, this okay. is it. This is okay. the last one I had. Okay. Bless your heart. Are you dying? It's okay. We can wrap. No, we're not. I'll tell you what. I'll tell you what. What we're going to do is we're going to end this up after the next question, right? And everyone's going to get up and drink some wine and eat some yeah. stuff like that. And like all the people who the energy has. Still have has, it. I still Hang have out. it. Can come back and we'll, and we'll play more. Yeah. And like it'll be you and me, right? Yeah. So that's, that's fine. No, okay. it's true. I want to end on this, but it's okay. true. Like yeah, we're, yeah. we're going yeah, to be wrong. We're people can bail or people can stay depending yeah, on your energy levels. Okay. Just the last question was related to what do you share with your kids about faith? Like if you don't. And it may be those four things, those four values that you've highlighted. I think the last one is yeah, yeah. worldview, humility, yeah, right. cultivate gratitude. Um, but I'm just the, the question. I'll just read it verbatim as opposed to my interpretation. What do you share with my? What do I share with my kids now that I've lost the idea of an angry God who needs me to accept him into my heart? So, like, what are the things that you tend to share with your children, or what would you recommend for somebody who's maybe exiting a more fundamentalist or more Christian <laughs> worldview about living a meaningful life? I don't know if any of you have ever listened to my podcast. Um, if you have, you've met my son, Roman, and uh, you don't say anything to Roman. <laughs> he says stuff to you. Um, no, I, my son is like 29 years old, and he's just 
you know, he's a really interesting dude. Um, and my daughter's uh, 31, 32 now, and uh, she's like the best therapist I've ever known. And so like what I said to my kids when they were little, um, and I think what I would what I encourage people to say to their kids is to start with the idea of like, because what kids are trying to figure out is like, what is this family about? Like, like a family needs to have sort of a, a crest, a, a purpose. Like, what are we here for? And I think like one of the things that I try to teach my kids is like, we're here to take care of each other first and foremost. Like we're here to help each other thrive and become really good. Like, and like my parents didn't raise me to love my sister or her to love me. They thought that they didn't know that that was their responsibility. They didn't try to build us to each other. They just nurtured us individually. And we didn't actually love each other at all until I was 45 years old. Um, and that's a whole interesting story that I'd be glad to tell you sometime. And, and now my sister and I really love each other a lot. And, but it's like, it's a crazy thing. I was desperate for my kids to love each other. And so the, the first thing I taught them was that in our family, like, these are the people. This is your smallest circle. And like, we're here to love each other. We're here to help each other grow. We're here to help each other. And like, you know, that was the most important thing. But the second thing was this worldview humility thing. I was like, look, Papa believes in God. Rainy believes in God. Like all the people around you, there's a lot of them believe in God. Some of them believe, and the people up the street believe in Islam. And the people, like, you're gonna hear a lot of people tell you a lot of different things. And here's what I'm going to tell you is true. What's true is nobody knows. Nobody can prove anything. But people believe what they believe for a reason. And you need, and you need to respect. You need to respect that. You need to, you, and you need to be curious about what other people believe. But nobody, like, but nobody, nobody knows for sure. And so if anybody tells you they know for sure, they're full of it and don't listen to them. And that was the most important thing I, was, I wanted to teach them is like, not you get to choose, because you kind of don't. But that like everybody gets shaped different ways. And so we would meet people who were really harsh and militant and go like, and they would go like, what a jerk. And I'd go like, listen, he's doing the best he can. Like they was raised to be that way. Like everybody comes from somewhere. And that's I think the most important thing that we teach kids about religion or about faith is this idea that everybody comes from somewhere and everybody believes stuff for a reason. And you're probably gonna end up thinking a lot like me. And it's not because I'm right. It's because like I'm in the dominant position in your life. And you're like, do I want you to end up thinking like me? I do. <laughs> but the reason is not because it's right, but because it's a language that we share. And like, I, if, you believe, if you end up believing like me, like we'll always have stuff to talk about. And like, we'll be able to prod each other in different directions. And you're like, well, the, you're making it seem like the, the, you're, you're sort of creating like, a, a, like an unfair advantage to your belief system. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I, because, because it is an unfair advantage. Like, you, you know what your kid wants most of all when they're little? If, if things are going in any way right, is they want your approval. They want to be like you. They, 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 they talk the way you talk. Like they, like they, that's what they want. And they're, and they're hardwired to do that. And so like, I got like, yeah, I'm, I'm okay with that. I'm okay with that. If my, you know, if my daughter was running around wearing a hijab, would I still love her? Yes. Would it be easy to hang with her? It would not. So like, I'm, I'm not, yeah, privileged position to, to our belief system. But I'll tell you what, our belief system 
one of the biggest principles of our belief system is nobody knows. Nobody knows. And anybody that says that they do is lying to you. Back to that world of humility piece. Yeah. Exactly. And back to, you know, and now, now the question is, did my kid look at me and say, do you believe in God? Back to your first question. Absolutely. And you know, I said to him, I can't. I can't. I'm not able to. I used to. I used to, but I can't now. But if you do, like people do, and they have good reasons for doing it. And like, you know, if you go on some retreat, you might have an experience and you might experience God and then it would become real to you. Like that's what happens. And that's okay too. I just can't. That's great. No, no, you don't get to. It's a follow. You, you get one follow. Yeah, let, let, yeah, I'll break it down even more. I don't believe in any form of supernaturalism because I've never seen any evidence for any supernatural reality. I, you know, I, 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 so I, I just don't believe in any, anything. Like, I believe in, like, I believe in evidence. Like, and, and I believe in stuff that I, can, that I can grasp. And, like, I know I don't understand very much. And you go, and, 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 but, but, like, you know, they talk about the God of the gaps. We're like, these are stuff that we know about like science and then like we didn't know where lightning came from. So we said it came from God. And then we figured out where lightning came from. We we're like, okay, that's actually just lightning. But God now is this, God is whatever we don't know. Like what I call whatever we don't know is what we don't know. You know, I, but I don't, I, don't, I don't have any reason to believe. Every, every time they told me it was God, then they figured out it wasn't. So I, I, just, I just don't believe that, there, that there's any, anything like that. So... But, but, but I say, when somebody does tell you they believe in God, it's really important then to ask, tell me, like, not just go, you're wrong, but tell me, like, what kind of God that do you believe in or what does God believe in? For two reasons. Number one is, half the time the person tells you they believe in God, when they're done talking about God, you realize that they just believe that the universe is sacred. And you're like, okay, well, then I'm, if that's what you want to call God, you know. I can't call it God because, where I, because I had such a background in religion and I was such a famous religious guy that if I, if, I call, if I did that progressive Christian thing and said, you know, God, but what I really meant was the universe, all the people that ever heard me would go like, oh, he believes in Jesus rising from the dead and all this stuff. So like, I have to call it what it is or else I'd mislead people. But like, if somebody calls it God, you know, like half the time, that's not what they mean. The, the other reason you want to find out what they believe in is because when somebody tells you what God is like, it will tell you nothing about what God is like, but it will tell you a lot about what that person is like. Yeah. It will tell you a lot about, because people project onto God their most deeply and cherished values. So like when my dad tells you about a God who like wants to feed the poor and loves gay people and stuff like that, it doesn't tell you who Jesus is. So you can make Jesus whatever you want it to be. You can find, you underline these verses and forget these verses and then you can underline these verses. And you can make Jesus whatever you want it to be, but it tells you a lot about that person. And so that's one of the reasons it's very important to be curious about what, what, what kind of God people believe in. This was just... I, I can't tell you, like, it's amazing to me that, you, you, like, I know that when I'm done, you'll probably clap. And, and, I'm going to ask them and, to, right, Bart. Right, and you'll make it like, thank you for coming Thanks and all this stuff. Come. I can't even tell you what a privilege it is 
to, to, to get the opportunity to share stuff that you've thought about a lot and that you've talked to hundreds and hundreds of people about and try to figure out in counseling sessions, things like that, and to get a chance to actually have a group of people say like, well, what, have, what have you figured out? Like in all that thinking and, and, and stuff. Like it's such a privilege to talk to you. I'm, I'm, I'm deeply grateful for this opportunity and I want to thank you for your attention. Yeah. Great. Love it. That's awesome. Yeah. That's awesome. That's a perfect note to wrap up on. Thank you so much for being here tonight. So for those of you that want to hang, we do have the place for another half an hour or so, so feel free to grab another beverage. We'd love not to like throw those desserts in the garbage, so like grab a Ziploc bag or, skunk the or beers. Like, shove them in your pockets. Um, drink the beers. Uh, we're hanging here for a bit. We do have a survey uh, that we put, um, we'll put up on the screen here. It's eastlakecc.com slash survey. It would be helpful to know like why in the world did you attend tonight and how much do you or do you not ever listen to East Lake stuff. So if you get a chance, fill out the survey, it'd be great. Uh, but more than anything, thanks for being here tonight. Grab a beer on the way out. And thank you, Bart. Cool. Thank you for joining us. To make a donation, head to eastlakecc.com slash donate.